Well, first of all, if anybody has anything they'd like to share or input, questions, whatever, uh, feel free to kind of jump in, raise your hand, whatever. Uh, you know, I, I got to say I'm really blessed and thank, thankful for Greg today because, number one, he already preached my whole sermon for me. So it, it was a good preaching. You know, to, and the fact that he dressed up special for me today. Now, that's not just a regular T-shirt. That was that's like Greg's best T-shirt. So I'm thankful for that. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's pray for a second. Father, we just uh, thank you, Lord, for uh, the unlimited riches that are found in you and the truth that is found in you and the sustainability for life that is found in you, for the assurance, for the hope, for the happiness, for the joy, for the peace, for everything that is found in you and was meant for us to experience in this life. And Lord, uh, I hope as, and I pray as we uh, approach what we're going to be looking at today, that, that uh, the access to those things will be revealed in the things that are shared today. We love you, and I, I thank you for sharing these things with me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, a long time ago, back in uh, Paul's time, right after the crucifixion, the church was just starting up. And in the church in Corinth, there were divisions and factions beginning to pop up in the church. And these divisions and factions were not good. There, were, there was disunity, arguments, all kinds of things. Now this is right after, you know, right when the church was being established. So believe me, the factions that existed back then are, are factions that are beginning, that actually exist in the world and in the church today. So with that in mind, the question is, why the factions? Right. Why the divisions? You know, where did these things emanate from? How come if we're all <laughs> believers, we all have the eternal life that Jesus came to provide for us? What, what are we fighting about? What, what, is, what is the argument here? It's a good question. But there's a reason behind all of this. And I think you'll begin to see it. What, you, what I have drawn here on, this, uh, on the board is a timeline of human history. Now, when you look at the scriptures, the scriptures communicate this entire timeline from eternity past where God said, uh, let there be light, and the universe began to be created in that period of time until the end of human history and a discussion of the fact that there is life even beyond human history. There's an eternity to be experienced in God because God is eternal. So there's a timeline, and there were the scriptures that God revealed to the prophets to communicate to us. Now, what were the purpose of the scriptures? The purpose of the scriptures was to show man where he had come from and where God was ultimately going to bring him. 
And there is a truth contained in these scriptures that if one grasps that truth, and believe it or not, it's a very simple truth, yeah. one can possess all the things that we talked about just previously. The love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the uh, eternal life that are found in God. Once you come to grips with this simple truth, you can possess all those things right now. Forgiveness, the forgiveness of sins. Righteousness, the perfection of God can be experienced today in you if you come to grips with this simple truth. But there's a problem. Why man isn't coming to grips with this simple truth? And this is, this is it. When we look back on this timeline, there was a uh, very early on in human history, there was a garden, and the man and the woman were in the garden. And there were these two trees in the center of the garden. One was the tree of life, of which if a man partook of that tree, he would have eternal life. And then there was another tree. It was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now of all the trees in the garden, God said, you are free to eat. For they were good for food, good for life. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you partake of that tree, you will surely die. Now, you know, you look back in religion, they, they think, well, maybe it was an apple, or maybe it was a pear tree, or whatever. But the reality is, there was something being presented to the man and the woman there that went way beyond disobeying God and eating an apple from a tree. There was a wisdom or a belief system being communicated to the man and the woman that they partook of. And that was simply this, that through their knowledge of good and evil, right and wrong, that they could become like God. But God said, do not eat from that tree. Do not believe that belief system or that wisdom, or in the day you do, you surely die. And But we know the end of the story, they partook of that tree. So the result of that is that man began to think and to reason about God and about life according to that knowledge of good and evil. We think that we can attain godliness because we know right from wrong and good from evil. So that is the thinking and the wisdom that is in the world. So as a result of that, this little guy here, that represents like everybody. <laughs> I know it's only one person, but that little guy represents everybody. And we look at life based on a external understanding of life. It's not a spiritual understanding of life, even though there are maybe some spiritual elements to our evaluation of things, you know, mysticism, all kinds of things like that. But, but the, the basic reasoning and premise behind our thinking is we know right from wrong, good from evil, and we're going to study this life. We're going to study the scriptures and determine from these scriptures what the truth is. And if we can do the truth, or if we can 
perform the things that our, our reasoning between knowledge, our knowledge of good and evil, if we can perform those things, we can attain the life that we are seeking. So, what happens? So, in the book of, uh, of uh, Corinthians, Paul says, one says, I follow Paul. One says, I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or another even says, I follow Christ. But there was division, because people were looking at the Old Testament scriptures, just like the Jews were looking at the Old Testament scriptures, and trying to extrapolate some understanding about life and about God and who he is and what he wanted us to do. So man was looking at these scriptures back in Paul's day. It was, it was the Old Testament scriptures. And they were extrapolating things from what I would call the jot and tittles of scripture and establishing doctrines and principles and traditions that one might live by to find the life that we so seek. But that life eludes them and it causes division among the people because all the scriptures, all the scriptures are pointing to one thing. All the scriptures are pointing to one thing. And the world, by its wisdom, was not attaining to that knowledge. They were trying to extrapolate theologies, principles, ideas, to attain to something that God wanted to give them as a gift. And we're going to look at this. So, as we said, the world is looking at the outside, judging everything in the world according to the knowledge of good and evil. And this judgment produces enmity between people. That makes sense to y'all? Why do you think that would be? Well, and not only that, why would you think that our reasoning by the knowledge of good and evil would not end up good? Why would you think that would be? Because where are those reasonings actually emanating from? They're emanating from us. Now listen, our reasoning and our thinking needs to emanate from something else, from another source. And where, what might that source be? God. God, right? So this is how, how this is the, the means in which God chose to reveal to us that we can possess everything that we need. He tells the Jewish leaders of his day, he says this, he says, you search the scriptures diligently, believing that through them you possess eternal life. Yet these are the scriptures that testify of me. These are the scriptures that testify of me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. 
Now, religion, in effect, does, is they develop their theologies, and everybody's got their own theology. Listen, they have a religion that believes that worship, you should worship on, on Sabbath. And they can go to the scriptures and point to a scripture that says, uh, you sh this is an eternal covenant. You shall worship on, on the Sabbath day. And they just extrapolate this one thing. So they set up a whole religion for hundreds of years that people attend and go to and worship and justify themselves in because they worship on the right day. And everybody else is damned because they don't worship on that day. Now, is that the most preposterous, preposterous thing you've ever heard in your life? It is actually a preposterous thing. But that is only one ex example of many religions who develop their theologies based on human reasoning and extrapolation of things that they develop theologies on. But Jesus said, you search the scriptures diligently, believing that by them you possess eternal life. But these are the scriptures that testify of me. Now, let's listen to how we begin to see the truth that all the scriptures are pointing to Jesus. This is, if you have your Bible with you, turn to First uh, Corinthians chapter 2. Listen to what Paul says about this. After he talked about the divisions and how those divisions were not good. And people were following after men who later became the sources of religion. Paul says this, Brothers, when I came to you, I did not come to you in eloquence of superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony of God. For I was resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and pervasive words, persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's reasoning, men's wisdom, but on the power of God. We do speak of a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age had understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind conceived what God has prepared for for those that love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. Now, listen to this. The spirit, the spirit that came from the resurrected Christ and was meant, the spirit, the resurrected spirit that was meant for our glory came to us from Christ. And it is through that spirit that we can attain understanding about the cross. Because Paul was resolved to know one thing, and what was that? Christ in him crucified. Christ in him crucified. The Spirit, listen to this, the Spirit searches all things, 
even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man within him? And who knows the thoughts of God? And no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. But we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, ex expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. But the spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is subject to no man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord? But we have the mind of Christ. So this is what happens. All the scriptures were pointing to the cross. I don't know if you realize it, but all of the Old Testament scriptures, all of the Gospels, the teachings in the Gospels, all of it was pointing to the cross. And what happened, so effectively, what, I'm going to ask you guys, what happened on the cross? What exactly happened on the cross? Anybody got a thought? The serpent's head. That's right. Listen. Death was crucified on the cross and was brought to the grave. Now, some would say, well, I thought sin was crucified on the cross. Well, sin was crucified on the cross because all sin has its root in death. <laughs> so when death is taken away, so is is sin. You see where I'm coming from? Yeah. He took that sin to the grave and left it there and was resurrected in an immortal, perfect human body that was raised by the power of God yes. with what the scriptures call in the book of Isaiah healing in his wings. So when one believes not in all the jot and tittles that you devise your religion out of, you know, whatever that religion might be, but that when you believe in the Christ, in the fact that he is salvation, not your religion, not your theologies, not in everything that you believe, but when you believe that Christ is your salvation, that he has given you eternal life, you receive the spirit all of a sudden you begin to possess what we're calling here is the spirit of revelation and that spirit begins to reveal to you that you are the sons and daughters of god himself that is what the spirit reveals now An interesting thing, when Jesus Christ was crucified, the Apostle Paul says a, a very interesting, a very unique thing about himself in regard to the crucifixion. He says this, I have been crucified with Christ. 
Jesus was raised from the dead. Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ, yet I live, but not I. It is Christ who lives in me. So, in effect, this is true of Paul, but it's true of everyone who believes that we died and were crucified with Christ. And we also, likewise, have been raised with him. Paul says another interesting thing. He says that we, right now, presently, are seated with him in the heavenly realms. So, through what Jesus did for us, we have been crucified with Christ. All sin, all death, completely eradicated. We've been raised to new life and are seated with him in heavenly realms. So I have a question for you. What else do you need? I'm going to tell you something. Forget all the theologies. Forget every theology there is. The Baptist theology, forget about it. Forget all the traditions of, of the Baptist religion or the Catholic religion or any other religion. Forget about all the religions. If you have eternal life and you have been seated with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. What else do you need? Nothing. Nothing. No. So, how do we begin to delve into the riches of Christ? Experiences, experience the riches of Christ. Is it by going back to the traditions and the rules and regulations and the principles of men? No. Or is it by believing? That you have been crucified with. Now, I got to tell you, it's kind of interesting the way the Apostle Paul presented that. He said, listen. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Yet I live. But not I. It's Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of Man who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, he summarized his entire life in those few words, that everything is fulfilled in yourself, finding, in your finding yourself in the Godhead with God as one with God. It's done. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to give. You don't have to pay a time. You don't have to go to church, although we're learning about God here and, and growing in, in the riches of his grace and his understanding. But in reality, it is finished. And when Jesus cried from the cross, it is finished. He meant more than the fact that I died. In effect, his death on the cross reveals to us the fullness of God's intent for humanity that he would lay down his life and give his life for us, that we might see the love of God and believe and be completely saved forever. Now, I want to tell you an interesting thing about everything I shared with you. A lot of people know this, but there's this other guy. There's another guy here. And he's looking at all of this. He, he's aware of the cross and what took place on the cross. And he's, but he's looking at all of this stuff. He's looking at all the religion, all the theology, 
And somebody says to this guy, you know, it's nice that you believe all this. This person is actually looking at all of this stuff from the outside. He's looking at it intellectually, using human reasoning. And somebody says, you know, if you quit believing this, if you turn away from this thing, you would be lost from it. Have y'all ever heard that before? If you turn away from believing all of the stuff that I just shared with you, you'll be lost. But they miss one point. The fact that this guy's thinking is just not correct. He's not thinking properly. There's a lot of people who believe like this. But you have to understand something. That the ultimate result of being saved if you are saved, is that you now find yourself seated in glory at the right hand of God with Jesus. That is where you are, and that is your life. How can a person who finds themselves in Christ ever not be in Christ anymore. I mean, it's, it's, it's actually a preposterous thought. His life now is your life. Now, there's a reason that I say that. It's because even after we come to know the Lord, there are influences on us. Those influences are susceptible to having us believing some things that are not true because religion, who selectively determines their theologies, project their theologies on you, and you begin believing the traditions of men taken out of context, not realizing that all the scriptures are pointing to the cross, and through the cross we have salvation, complete and full and forever. Salvation is an eternal salvation. It's not a temporal salvation. This is where we find ourselves. And this is where life begins. Now, anybody have any thoughts? Well, the would the word say, I mean, do you think that you can even say you were saved if it, you could lose it? I mean, is it even possible to say you're saved if it could come and go? I mean, isn't the word saved encompass in it that it can't come and go? Absolutely. The, the term itself, saved, means that you're saved. That, it, that, that the operation that was required for your salvation has been accomplished. That's what it means to be saved. Listen, just the like jail. I'm same, sorry. Same thing with the word sealed. Yeah. When it says in the Bible, it says you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Then we, I just told him, this Holy Spirit doesn't come in and then jump out one day because you don't believe something correctly. No matter how much the world wants to press in on you and try to convince you. I mean, that's just the enemy coming up against to, to mess up your theology in your head. 
Absolutely. But I mean, once you're sealed, the word sealed is no different than saved. I mean, it's, you're sealed. Absolutely. You can't, no sealing you out of God. You can't say you're sealed or saved if right. it can come and go. Exactly. Like, it's like contrary to the word itself. Exactly. Right? Absolutely. I mean, to me, that's the Holy Spirit speaking that truth out of your heart. Right. When you when you know it and you profess it. And so it's not like you can ever, I mean, sealed to me, if you seal something, it's sealed. Yeah. Part of part of the issue and part of the reason I'm, I'm sharing things as I am speaking about the fact that there's a carnal thinking and a carnal reasoning that exists in the world and most definitely through the, a thread of of carnal reasoning that is the basis of most religion and by the way I, I'm not talking bad about people okay I, because almost every Christian I know belongs to a religion and I love other believers I love everybody there's nobody I don't love because Christ lives in me and he loved the whole world. But they are subject to, they're making themselves subject to the traditions of men that are communicating things to them, extrapolating things out of the context of Scripture. By the way, listen, if somebody said, somebody's extrapolating something out of the context of scripture most people would put it this way well you know you got to take all the scriptures and it's true to that it, it, there's something in all of the scriptures that you have to evaluate the jots and tittles of scripture by but that thing that you have to evaluate all the scriptures by is christ himself you have to look at what he came to do and accomplish for us that we could not accomplish for ourselves in order to understand all the scriptures. Christ himself explains all of the scriptures to us because the whole point in salvation is that The sin and death that held us in bondage was destroyed at the cross and that the eternal life that we so needed was provided for us as a gift. And if you possess that gift, you possess that gift. It is over and completely finished. But somebody wants to go to five verses, two of them in a book of Hebrews, that sound or appear that you can lose your salvation. And they pulled that out and they inflict it on men to keep them in bondage. Listen, if I told you, I'm just going to say, if I told you, if you walk away from this church, you're going to be eternally lost. <laughs> Would that not tend to put a little bit of fear in your mind that walking away from this church would cause you to be eternally lost. Does that mean I have to pastor the church the whole time? <laughs> yes. Go ahead. Um, we're the bride of Christ, right? And in the Jewish marriage, there was no way for a woman to leave the marriage. Absolutely no way for her to end the marriage. So we can't end the marriage. Yeah. Only Christ can. He ain't going to do it. <coughs> He's not doing that. So we don't have anything to worry about. Let let what God has joined together, no man separate. So when, when you are in Christ and he is in you, you are married or joined to him. No man, including yourself, 
can separate that marriage because God had joined them together. And I'm going to tell you, that's a, that's a secure place to be. Matter of fact, that idea that you can lose your salvation, and I don't know why this has come up. I, I, I just was thinking about it as I was looking at all of this reasoning. That theology that you can lose your salvation is the most damnable theology I can even imagine. Matter of fact, I know early on, when I, when I first started uh, in the faith, and the idea that you could lose your salvation came to me, that it, there were certain religions that actually believed that, okay? Uh, when I heard that, I thought, how can a person possibly now this is many many years ago possibly be saved and believe that now it is possible for someone to be saved and be confused about that it's possible for that to take place but i'm going to tell you salvation itself is knowing that you have eternal life and have been made one with your creator. That is what salvation is. So if I say, if, if I actually believe that I can be lost again, what is your faith in? Your ability to maintain uh, your, your faith in, in this stuff that you're looking at from the outside? Listen, I, I, I got to tell you, when you think about it, there's something communicated to us in the events of the cross. Listen, when Jesus was arrested, all of his followers left him. Jesus, I mean, uh, uh, Peter, denied him three times, cursing and swearing, I don't even know the man. But after the cross, after the giving of the Spirit, they all stood up, and their lives never meant anything to them. The only thing that meant anything to them was that they had eternal life in God. So their lives were, the importance of this physical life to them was diminished because they had eternal life. The importance of physical life diminishes when you know you have eternal life. So Paul, I mean Peter, then, proclaimed to the Sanhedrin in a, the gospel. He shared with the, the gospel with him. So did uh, Stephen before he was stoned to death. So what caused this change from Peter cursing and swearing that I never knew him to standing up before the Sanhedrin and ultimately being crucified himself? What caused this change? What empowered him not to turn away? The fact that God's life had become his life. The power that was in God's life, the ability, the sustainability, the fortitude, whatever you want to call it, whatever is in God, became Peter's. So Peter had every ability to maintain the faith because the faith was not of him it was of God we are saved through faith to faith we're saved 
by our seeing and being persuaded of the truth that God has given us eternal life. And when we do, God gives us his faith. His faith will never fail us. We can be assured that we have eternal life. And and I'm going to tell you another thing. You can say, I believe God will do this, but, you know, I could turn away. It's possible I turn away, you know. But listen to this. If it were possible for you to turn away, under the right circumstances, when the right pressure's on you, you will turn away. You would turn away. Because our flesh does not have in it the ability to sustain our faith. We do not have the ability. It's not in man to sustain our faith unto eternal life. But if Christ is Christ's faith is our faith, and it, it most certainly is because we possess the spirit, that spirit within us, that faith within us can endure anything even unto death. So I hope that if anybody out there is listening to this who, who has been taught through the traditions of religion and men and extrapolate, extrapolating things out of, out of context of scripture, that you can lose your salvation, that you will reconsider that. It's not profitable. It can only bring doubt into your heart. Because listen, if somebody can lose their salvation, not you, because no, you're better than that, but if somebody <laughs> can lose their salvation right. 10 years from now, maybe that could be you. There is no assurance in that type of salvation because it is based on you and your ability to maintain the faith. Yeah. Jesus is the maintainer of the faith. Amen. So the way yes. we define salvation, too, I think becomes fickle and it moves. But if I define salvation by Jesus, the Word made flesh, it's like um, we spend all our time thinking about whether we can lose our salvation, all of that. And then that leaves us with our own reasoning. And then, like you so beautifully point out, then we're searching the Scriptures from our own reasoning, trying to find, can we lose our salvation or not lose our salvation? Right. I think it's the wrong question. Because Jesus is the Word made flesh. I think the question is, can Jesus lose his salvation? Can the salvation that, that come upon the man Jesus when he was raised up out of the grave, right. can he lose that? Yes. Now, if, I think most every Christian that believes would say there's no way that he could lose. Right? And then we end up living by something different than what we would say about him. But whose mind do we have? Do we have the mind of Christ? Yes. So does Christ, seated at the right hand of God, is he busy thinking he can lose his salvation? No, no, no. He's not thinking like that. Well, whose mind do we have? And so, um, yeah, I think the way you explained that was very good. I just thought that if, if, if more people would defer their own thinking and scriptural reasoning to the Word, they, they would... Be a lot less confused. Like you so beautifully pointed out, the spirit of revelation. Yes. And listen, and the fact that all the scriptures are not pointing to theology. All the scriptures are not pointing to religion. Your religion or any other religion. Your religion is not the religion. All the scriptures, 
honestly, all the scriptures are pointing against religion as being the means by which, or the source, or the root through which you can take to find salvation. It, it talks against that. It says that there is a person that was born in the human timeline that believing on him results in eternal salvation. You believe on Jesus, and you have eternal life. It, it, it is unbelievable how we how quickly we forget from the book of John to the book of uh, whatever, some verse you pick out of Hebrews that says you can lose your salvation. And, but Jesus said this, He who believes in me has eternal life. He who died, who, who, who believes in me, even though he is dead, yet shall he live. And he who lives and believes in me will never die. We hear those things, and they should bring comfort and peace to our hearts, knowing that, man, I have eternal life. I believe in Jesus. I have eternal life. And just walk around with that assurance, knowing that I have eternal life. And then someone extracts something out of context in the scriptures and say, no, 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 don't be, don't be assured in that. Because look at what this says over here. And, and, and those things cause division. So, but listen to this, this kind of interesting thing from uh, the book of John. This is the prayer that the Lord prayed before he was, just before he was crucified. He said, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Now, when Jesus said, I gave them the glory that we had from the beginning, that they may be one even as we are one, he is saying that I have placed them with us in the Godhead. We are one with God. Jesus did not fail in what he, what he prayed to the Father here. We became one with him and we received his glory and are seated with him in the heavenly realms. That is where we are. That is reality. That is truth. Now the question is, you're going to believe testimony of God, Jesus, what he prayed for, or are you going to believe the testimony of men who derive theologies based on a carnal reasoning and perspective about life. Who are you going to believe? Remember Abraham? Abraham believed God, and it was accredited to him as righteousness. He saw Christ. He saw Christ from afar and believed and became a 
a possessor of the promise of eternal life. Yeah, and, and even though Abraham uh, was confused and had an Ishmael, God didn't leave him. It didn't say he became unrighteous. It didn't say that he wasn't the father of many nations. God still was there, and God was still working to show Abraham forth as what God called him. Listen, you know, people, uh, you know, so their their religions, like, you know, there's a, a segment of, like, the Pentecostal religion, the holiness movement, you familiar with that? Yeah. Who, uh, you know, they say, yeah, it, it's good to, uh, to uh, believe in Jesus. You got to be baptized. You got to be bapt uh, baptized a second time, but the Holy Spirit evidence was speaking in tongues. Uh, you you got to do all these things. It's important. But guess what? All of that's not uh, sufficient because obviously we need to live holy lives. Okay? So the women start wearing dresses down to their ankles. They don't dance. They don't drink alcohol. They, you know, they, they live these certain supposed holy lifestyles, right? And uh, they think that they are establishing their righteousness toward God, right? But whose righteousness is sufficient toward God? What can you do? What kind of lifestyle can you live that is sufficient righteousness toward God? How good are you going to be? Listen, the righteousness of God is contained in one thing and one thing alone. And that is the life of God being your life. If God were a judge like we, like hum, human reasoning, I speak as, as a fool to you. If God was a judge like we suppose a judge to be, and he wouldn't judge all humanity, right? He would stand there and he'd look at all humanity and he'd look down and he said, they're all condemned. The reason that is, is because even if we did 90% of the things that we think the scriptures are mm -hmm. telling us to do that we might be righteous. We're still lacking one thing. We're lacking the light that provides everything. There is a life that if possessed is the righteousness of God. And if you possess that light, you possess the righteousness of God. Yep. What, what else is required there? What good, can, what good can any of our righteousness be for job when God is thinking the only acceptable state of our lives to be in is possessing immortality in the flesh? That's why it says all of our righteousness are as filthy rags. The, the filthy rags is talking about be, what we can clothe upon ourselves with. So the end God has for our life is that we can be clothed upon in his life. Now, what good are all the things I can do, even should they all be right? Let's say I can do everything right. What good is those things towards the end of clothing me with the very immortality of God? They're worthless. That's right. They're, they're worthless. They're, they're empty. And, and, and if they it's like clothing yourself with fig leaves. That, and it, that's exactly, I'm still naked. 
And, and if I can't clothe myself with the life of God by my righteousness, then guess what? Neither can I produce the fruit of God's life with my dress code or my uh, religious traditions or performances. None of those things can produce the fruit of God's life either. That's right. You know, in the midst of putting this thing together, I got a little ding on my bone the other morning. And this guy from Pakistan sends me these little scripture verses every morning. Right? And this is a scripture verse he sent me. He said, now this is some obscure scripture from his book, okay, that nobody, the book of Zephaniah. I'm sure there are probably people out there in TV land that don't even know what the book of Zephaniah is. But it's this obscure scripture from the book of Zephaniah. And this is what the Lord is foretelling. And you know how we say, even way back here in the Old Testament, the scriptures are foretelling of the cross and of the Christ and of the one who would be our salvation. Listen to what he says. The Lord, the Lord has taken away thy judgments, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, all of human reasoning, all of religion. He's taken away all of our judgments, the judgments toward him and the people we know and love and should be behaving in such a way too. The Lord has taken away thy judgments and cast out the enemy. The king of Israel, even the Lord, is in the midst of thee, and thou shalt see evil no more. I'm going to read this one more time quick. The Lord has taken away thy judgments. He has cast out the enemy. The king of Israel, even the Lord, is in the midst of thee, and thou shalt see evil no more. What Zephaniah was saying so long ago is what Jesus said from the cross. It is finished. It is finished. Now, you have a choice when things like this are presented to you. You can say, you know, if it's really finished, don't we have to do this? Don't we have to go to church? Don't we have to give 10% to the church? Don't we have to uh, speak in tongues? Don't we have to... Uh, what about all those other things? I tell you what, you can take all those things and I, I, I'll say it the way the Apostle Paul said, because Paul was a very religious zealot for his cause and for religion and for what religion had taught him was true. You know what he said? He, he compared it to dawn. I would take all that stuff and throw it in the garbage can. That's what I would do with that. Throw it in the garbage can and supplanted with the life that is found in Jesus Christ and walk in the newness of life, the fact that he has given you his eternal life. You know, it, it was kind of interesting too in the, in the book of, uh, of Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians. I'm going to get back to that real quick. Somebody says,
Listen to what he says. It's kind of interesting. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so that there may be no divisions among you. Now, when you think about religion and the separateness of all the different religions and the, the hostilities exist because everybody believes different things, okay? He says, I appeal to you that there be no divisions and that you be perfectly united in mind and in thought. How is a person, how are people going to become one in mind and thought when all the different religions, including yours out there, all of the different religions extrapolate things from the scriptures, develop a theology and a religion based on it by which they seek to justify themselves with. But Paul says, let there be no division, and that you be of one mind and heart and thought. How can he say that? It's, it's through one spirit and one reality. That what Christ has done for us is complete and sufficient. It is over. Eternal salvation is secured for you. And you can begin to walk in that. So, that when I come over here and talk to Billy, I say, Billy, man, ain't it nice? We have eternal life. We're going to live forever in paradise with God. And we, not only that, but he has given us his spirit whereby which we can live this life and enjoy this life and love the people around us. Isn't that nice? Yep. What can he argue about with that? Where would the division be? <laughs> but guess what? You gather all your theologies and it looks good. Just like the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil appeared to be good, but it was based on human actually satanic reasoning listen to what i'm telling you there is only one theology jesus is that theology he completed our salvation he is eternal life we have eternal life in him and no one can take it away nor can you walk away that is 100 percent complete and that is what can bring unity to the body of christ so I believe in that. Peace. And guess what? So somebody out there goes to the uh, Pentecostal church and they're wearing their shirt, their, their uh, dresses down to their ankles. And they're hearing this and they say, man, we missed it. What this guy is saying is true. The work is complete. What begins to have to happen is this. All of the theology and the traditions of men, and the religion, all of that has to begin to be unwound in your mind and your heart because it is based on human reasoning. And we've been thinking like that for so long that our, our minds need to be renewed on the reality that it is finished. Right. And, and believe it, as simple as that truth is, 
it is very difficult in our hearts and our minds to begin to unwind. It's very difficult. You have to continually renew your mind and continue to think on the word of life that is your life, and that is Christ. You need to keep hearing Christ and him crucified. You need to keep hearing what speaks against the religion and the theology that man continues to preach to us day in and day out. That you need to you need to keep hearing that which speaks against the death and the chaos in the world around us. Right. Only through keeping on hearing will your heart be persuaded and unwound from all of those lies. Absolutely. No question about it. And listen, you know, it, it's it, I guess it's like really important to communicate this. As I said earlier, I'm not like against any religion. I, I understand that those, and no matter what I believe, those things are going to be out there. No matter what I teach and share about the truth, even if it is the truth, which it is the truth, the, the world is still going to go its way. The religions are still going to exist. I'm not going to change the religions, nor am I trying to change them. But you know what? It, it's interesting when Jesus came into this earth. You know, he didn't come when there was internet. He didn't come. It, God's ways are really different than man's ways, okay? He didn't come when there was television and radio where he could have got his message out to everybody. He came at a very obscure time in human history. Communication and travel was very limited. Yet his word got out there because this is the way the word works and in the way God works. He works with the seed. He works with a little bitty thing, a little bitty seed. And when that seed of truth is planted in an individual's heart, like some lady from a Pentecostal church that might be watching his message, when that little bitty seed is planted in her heart, it will have great effect. And it's not speaking against the religion that you, you, you agree with, the starting to wear short skirts, the, ch the church in rebellion or anything like that. It is allowing that seed of truth to grow in you and to well up into the eternal life that you were meant to experience. Mm -hmm. That eternal life is in all of us as believers. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it just requires a little bit of look. A little bit of a seed of truth to come in there to begin to expose the lie and to reveal the true spirit of revelation that everything is found in him and everything in him is complete. Amen. Anybody got any other thoughts? Or... Amen. Sealed by the Holy Spirit. Yes, he does. I was yes. just thinking that um, we need to be focused on Jesus. It's like when Peter was walking on the water and he got his eyes off of Jesus and he started thinking about his circumstances. You know, we're talking about how people can walk away from the truth. Well, you can do that momentarily. It's okay. You know, you look at your situation for a few minutes and then you remember, oh yeah, Jesus is there. That's right. It doesn't have to be an eternal walk away. That's right. It could be just a minute walk away. Mm -hmm. And that's all right. No, no doubt about it. Listen, it, as simple as the truth is, and as complete as the truth is, as complete as the work of Christ is, 
it is unbelievable how our <laughs> human reasoning gets in the way and tends to detract us from the truth. I have to remind myself of the truth. And listen, as I was developing this thing here, I was reminding myself mm-hmm. because it's kind of contrary to the way we naturally think. Right. I want to read something that you said when we were here doing the test because I wrote it down. And we've alluded to it, but it was good because it was um, based on Zephaniah, which for everyone that's wondering, it's Zephaniah 3.15. So I had Maurice come in so we could do a test and see if the mic would work. And this is what he said about Zephaniah, and he was writing this up on the board, and he had the human reasoning and the judgments that we make. He said, hostility comes from our judgments, hostility between one another, comes from our judgments about ourselves, about others, and about God. Mm-hmm. And then he pointed to the penultimate of history, the cross, the grave, the resurrection and ascension. And he, he said, God stood in our midst as a man and glorified human flesh. And that removed all the judgments that we had made about ourselves, about God, and about one another through the knowledge of good and evil. And it crushed the hostility. Yeah. It took away the hostility. We, we couldn't see the evil anymore. And then he picked it up at any point if, yeah. it, if it jogs your memory. Well, all I know is this, that the judgments that Zephaniah was referring to is the judgments that we have based on human thinking, the knowledge of good and evil. And we judge everything in life that way. We judge the scriptures that way. We judge one another that way. And it always ends up in hostility. Because listen, Billy, you're a nice guy. But I got to tell you, if I examined your life close enough, if I was intimate enough with you, I could find a lot of things to be opposed to you and to have to try to correct it. But listen to this. The Lord has cast away those judgments, okay, and caused you and I to be one in the Godhead. And that oneness does not have anything to do with your, my knowledge of good and evil as it relates to you, or your knowledge of good and evil as it relates to me. So the only way oneness and unity can exist between two people is when the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is cut away and eliminated, and we no longer judge based on that. And as Zephaniah said, the Lord has taken away those judgments and has cast it out that the King of Israel, that we might exist in the midst of the King of Israel, that we would see no evil anymore. No evil in, I see no evil in you. You know, see no evil in me. And we can just be friends and love one another. Amen. Listen, we live in a world today that's shattered by racial divisions, uh, religious divisions, all these things exist. Do you think if, if a war or revolution or a riot is going to solve enmity between people? Will a war, will killing people cause the enmity between people to be eradicated? 
Of course not. Yeah. Thank you. It actually makes it worse. Whatever division there was, there's even more. Listen, I watched, we watched, Maureen, I watched a, a documentary of World War One, and World War One was just a, a prelude to World War Two. It created so much division that another war had to take place. Now, that war actually lasted a, a, a few years, <laughs> but that's that's all it lasted. World War Two only lasted a few years, then came all the other wars. Okay. But the only way it actually had any effect is that we completely annihilated the people who were the enemy, who we viewed as the enemy. They were completely annihilated. What a miserable, pitiful way to establish peace. Now, it had to be done in this earth that we, we live in. But that is not the way God establishes peace. Listen. God establish, establishes peace through planting love in the hearts of men. And if you want to be an ambassador of peace, share, begin sharing this with people. That Jesus has accepted you into the beloved. Not based on your knowledge of good and evil, but because of what he did for you on the cross. Mm -hmm. The love that he displayed for you on the cross. Mm -hmm. Very good. So, hey, hey, of course, yes. Yeah. What if I don't? Can you speak up a little bit so we can? Okay. <laughs> what if I find it hard walking in love with everyone, <laughs> but I begin to feel like I'm a bad person because I can't walk in that love? Where do I go from here? Well, let me just say this. You're not alone to begin with. You're not alone in that. Okay. Uh, so the question is, if a person has difficulty walking in love and feels like some condemnation within themselves because they're not walking in love perfectly, is that what you're saying? Because I know I can look at you. you got love in you, girl. You're beautiful. <laughs> Yes, indeed. <laughs> but, but I condemn myself because I'm not. Absolutely. Listen, but guess what? If you Everybody condemn yourself, you know what the scriptures say about that? God is greater than your, your heart. If your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. And he is capable of overcoming that in you. And he's patient with us. He's patient with us in this regard. And it, it, it but, but, and it's kind of a curious thing. Relationships. There has to be a relationship that emanates in me first. I can't depend on it coming from the people around me. The people around me, I can get a myriad of things from toward me. Okay? And I cannot control that. The only thing that can be affected in my life is to be affected and in the Lord. Christ affects us through his love for us and for the fact that he has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Really getting your heart and your mind saturated with that truth 
and and the fact that he sees you as beautiful and as as perfect and guess what contrary to all of the religion okay he sees you as beautiful and perfect because you are seated with him ah, sin beautiful in Christ you are beautiful in Christ that is who you are so it is somehow or another getting that seed of truth established in our hearts that causes us to radiate that glory or that truth or that love you see where I'm coming from but if if it is not actually happening right away we can feel like something is amiss or something's wrong with us in reality something is not right something is not right but it is not what something not right with you because you are beautiful and perfect in the Lord you are beautiful and perfect in the Lord and that thing has to be established in your heart where that that his glory and love toward you begins to emanate out of you toward other people you see what I'm saying and that that's not something that necessarily is going to happen to us overnight although we got to remember this it is 100% complete in you it is 100% complete yes what I'd say too is it's not in and of us to love there are people in this earth that I personally I can relate with what you're saying I don't feel this love towards them but that's my carnal being doing that that's my flesh doing that because the love of God God is the only one that can cause me to love that's right. he, his, he, he manifested love in me and it manifests towards other people. Now, I'm not going to tell you there's everybody in my life that I walk with, I'm feeling that love towards because that's that human uh, um, the pressing in on that we live in this world that we live on that's always pressing in on us that wants to override and push that love of God so that it doesn't manifest in our lives. Yeah. But it's not your job to love everybody. Right. It, we can't make ourselves love everybody. God has to extend and manifest that by the Spirit in our heart. Because there are people in this life that I've walked with that I've truly had um, just It's you know, not trouble. Listen, when somebody is able to overcome that. Right. When someone figuratively slaps you in the face, or is ugly towards you, or mistreats you in any way, or you perceive something from somebody that, that, that it may not even be true, but when you perceive that, it's like... There is hurt that takes place in it. But it's almost like Christ seeing you as beautiful and perfect and righteous and holy and complete. When that thing begins to come to you, it is absorbed by him. You see what I'm saying? I have been hurt so much until I guess I'm just protecting my heart until I don't I don't receive God's love like I should and that's why I feel bad too because I can't I don't feel like I can love the way God wants me to love on the way he loves me to reciprocate that love back that's why that's, that is why hearing the truth patiently waiting 
on the Lord is so important to, to just relax and rest. Don't judge yourself. God's not judging you. He judged you as perfect and holy and righteous and good at the cross. That's because you find yourself right here with God in the Godhead, seated at the right hand of God with Christ. I didn't say that. The Apostle Paul said it. It may sound like blasphemy to somebody. The Apostle Paul said we are seated with him in the heavenly realms. And that's where you see and you're perfect and holy and righteous and good because of him. And you have to be patient and allow that truth to penetrate your heart. And you will find life manifesting from you. This life of God manifesting from you. Just relax. God also, Paul said, God also doesn't think that you can love like he does. That's right. And he, so he hasn't called you to love like he's up. What he's said is, come hop in my lap and let's just talk. And he will give birth to himself in you. Just like what Marie so beautifully mentioned about Paul. It's no longer I who live. It's not me now working up the love. I'm not now loving people the way God loves people. But in seeing that I was crucified with Christ, I've stopped looking at it as if I must produce the same love God has. But I see that it's God who's going to live in me and produce love out of me. And all I do is talk with God, right? And listen to uh, people that have wise counsel, like Maurice, like and Shelley. And li listen, God knows your feelings. He wants you to express those feelings to him. Just pour out your heart to the Lord and he the Lord will lift you up. He'll strengthen Amen. Do you wanna do you want to take one more question? Yeah, one more question. I uh I going to say Paul uh, Paul said I no longer judge others, even myself. I, I like turning that around a little bit and saying I no longer have to judge others or myself because i know who i am that's right he's cast away that judgment he's yeah. there's only one judgment that matters and he judged us in the cross beautiful in mm -hmm. christ and that's where we have to we have to that's where our lives have to begin to emanate from that's the reality of all the scriptures and no selection of any grouping of scriptures or theology can provide that life for you. It's only found in Jesus. That's why the Pharisees saw Jesus and crucified the Lord of Lord. That's why he said, don't forsake the assembly. We're here to encourage Amen. and edify. Amen. Thank goodness. I need it, man. <laughs> Do you want to field this last question? Oh, we have a, a last no, question. There's a question oh, really? Okay, go ahead. Sure. Do you think we have time, guys? Yeah, well, sure. Okay, so here's the question. Um, and it's from our own Annette Record. Watch it online from Kansas, I think. Yes. Uh, and Carol, because it says we have a question. <laughs> when was I really safe? When I believed as a child of eight years old and asked Jesus in my heart? Or when I came into the understanding of these truths. And then there's the second part. And what about those who are in between, who believed on Jesus as Savior, 
but don't necessarily understand all these truths. Yes. That's a big question. Do you follow it? Yes, I, I do. But li listen to this. I can only go back to, uh, so the question is, when is a human being saved? When, listen, when I was a child, and just, I'll use me as an example. When I was a child, I actually believed in God as a child. There was this innocence in me, this, this childhood innocence. I'll never forget. No, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you. I had a, a, a great story I could tell you, but I'm not going to get into that. But so as a child, I believed. I went to church. And when I went to church, even though, you know, there was religion there, we were Roman Catholic, I had like a little bit of a childlike faith in God. He, you know, through my early, my real early, uh, uh, but lengthy childhood, okay? Uh, but as time went on, I began to uh, live according to human wisdom, the knowledge of right and wrong, and at some point I realized that salvation was available to me, that through believing in Jesus I could have eternal life. Well, when that truth was presented to me through, actually through just reading the scripture, I believed on that for my eternal life. And because when you believe on Christ for eternal life, you receive the Spirit of God, you're baptized <laughs> into Him, that Spirit began to reveal truth to me. And But it was when the Spirit came that I was truly saved. Now, you know, in God's mind, he might have seen Maurice from the very beginning and said, you know what? That guy's going to come to me. And in God's heart, I might have been like saved all along. But I was not actually, the person of Maurice was not saved until I received that life that came from God. Now, this is where the problem is, trying to judge when you were saved or not. I could have thought when I was five and I believed in Jesus that I was actually saved. But the rest of my life, until I was 33 years old, did not testify to the existence of that life, nor was the revelation or understanding of God there. So someone asked me, Maurice, when were you saved? What day were you saved? I actually could not answer that. All I know that I was in reading the scriptures, and at some point I came to believe, and something happened at that point, and I have no idea what that day or hour was. But I do know this, according to the truth, that when I received the life, when I believed on Jesus for eternal life, the Spirit entered into me, and I was saved. Now, there is no real answer for me for, for, for this question other than at one point a person possesses the spirit and at another point he does not possess that spirit. Now Greg, if you have any input on that, I, you know. I want you to answer. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and, it's, and, and at some point we had, we had believed and we got the spirit 
and that eternal life that comes with that life. And prior to that, we did not have. And to, to pinpoint that or say what experience or what events or what prayer we might have said or whatever it is that caused that to happen, I, you, you really cannot say that. It's just one day you realize, oh, I got eternal life. I think the much more interesting question is the second part of that, as to when you're in between self, you're you're saving wherever you want to start that, right? And then listen, the revelation of grace. There, listen, there are a lot of people who attend churches, evangelical churches, where a lot of scripture is taught, who are not there, who, who have not believed on Christ for eternal life. That's why, listen to this. That's why it's so important to focus on the cross of Christ and the fact that what he did is completely sufficient for our salvation right because the clearer that message is to the human heart the easier it is to understand and accept and to believe that love that is found in him whereby he wanted to save us and give us his life i, it, I, I will add on, yes. on to it because i'm just thinking of a conversation gary and i used to have um i i called upon the name of the lord when i was like three years old I couldn't understand intellectually any of the things I understand today, right? All I understood is that uh, Jesus is the Lamb of God. I don't even know I understood that. I just know God loves me and Jesus loves me, right? And I'm three, four years old saved. I didn't understand any of these truths, but I know I was saved and filled with the Holy Spirit then, in that moment. Now, because I didn't understand the gospel, I went on to experience a life of hell because I was confused. Now, that life of hell I experienced in between three or four to like 21 when I was a drug addict and all these things. Because Gary Gary would say, how could you have been saved and doing all those things? And and so I, I just know that I was. And so even though my, my lack of understanding about the eternal life was present, and it and it just goes along to confirm with what you said. Even though my lack of understanding was present, I had life. And my understanding hadn't caught up to the life I already had. And so it looked ugly for a while, right? And then I come into the understanding of the truth. So it, I think it, it just it confirms what Maurice is saying. It's when you receive that life. And I don't know you can look at somebody and determine whether they have or not. It's really an impossible thing to really determine. Now let's, can I tell you something? I've, I've heard your testimony before, and I thought to myself, well, you know, maybe Greg really wasn't saved, but he thought he was. And, uh, and, and later on, he came into Revelation, and he had that childlike faith, just like I had childlike faith. But at some point, he came to realize that, man, there's eternal life in this guy, and I have eternal life now. And it was maybe at that point, but he did have that childlike faith. I was, I actually thought about that. Yeah. But guess what? I could actually be wrong about that. Greg <laughs> could have believed on the Lord right. when he was three years old and had the life. Oh, and I know not, it because I talked with God through all the hell. There you go. There you and go. guess what? I and, and, was with me. So, <laughs> but what I'm trying to say, I'm talking about my perception of this okay, and, and, and the realities of it, apart from what you think, okay? So he might have been saved, but my evaluation of it would say, well, maybe he really didn't know until later. So there's no real definitive way of 
presenting that. All I know is that at one point, this is going to happen. At some point in the human consciousness, you know that you have eternal life and that you've been saved. Mm -hmm. And and there's no, Greg don't have any question about that right now, nor does anybody else in his room, because I know you guys. Yes. I think it's possible to have have the Lord and to know that you're going to go to heaven. But if you don't know who you are in Christ and what Christ did for you and what that um, and the power you have because you are in him and he is in you, you could be miserable. Yeah. Sure. I know. No question about it. <laughs> but that doesn't mean when you die, you're not going to go to heaven. You could be miserable in this life. And have mm -hmm. things go wrong, mm -hmm. but still go to heaven. That's yeah. right. Yes. No, no question about it. And and listen, <laughs> I, honestly, religion kind of provides that for you because really it can make you pretty darn miserable, yeah. working your way to something that God wants to give you for a gift. So you you're actually working very hard to to towards something that God wants to give you for a gift. Yeah, that's right. That you can walk in and actually be happy. But 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 our human reasoning and the human reasoning that established almost all of the religions that are out there it, it has to be dismissed and you believe in a person for your eternal life and not a theology unto eternal life. You're not believing in a set of things that you believe in for eternal life. You're believing in a person for, for, for eternal life. That's why clarifying that is so important. That's why this is so important because it's not your theology that saves you. No theology of any human being has ever saved them. A person saved you, and it was Jesus Christ. He did it at the cross. And God Himself. God Himself. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna answer, ask and answer one more question yes. real quick if you don't mind. Sure. Um, because someone asked Sandy uh, Jackson um, asked. What does the scripture mean to endure to the end? And I could talk on and on and on and on and on and on about that, but we won't. Um, could endure. We're just going to give a simple answer. <laughs> to, to endure to the end, when you look at in the context and in the Greek, to endure to the end just means all those who really believe won't perish. Right? The scriptures talk about believing in vain. It doesn't mean you believe and then you didn't believe. What it means is you never really believe. That's what to believe in vain means. You never actually believe. You uh, just thought, oh, that sounds nice. Or, you know, to avoid something or whatever else you did it, right? Um, it speaks of never actually believing. And so to endure to the end in Matthew 24 just means to all those who really believe, right? That's that have really believed the testimony of the Christ, right? Those, those, those who endure to the end is more of a description of those than what they did. Yeah. It's not that they stuck it out and endured mm -hmm. to the end. It is a description of those who have the life and endure to the end. Beautiful. Right. Right. Thank you. It's great. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you guys.